Are we ready back there? We're good? All right. Good afternoon, everyone. Nice to be, nice to be with you again today. Um, continuing with our, our HCV, histology and cell biology, slightly different topic today. We're going to be looking at the big, big uh, topics. Um, again, still kind of general, but hopefully we'll be getting into some of the more interesting kind of details a little bit more today. So we're going to be looking at, at cell division and death. And here's your objectives as usual, right? So you can do a quick preview. Here's our list. Again, hopefully some of these terms are, when you see them, are jogging some good memories. Today we're going to be really looking at homeostasis in a, in a bigger way, right? You guys have been talking about that on a on a cellular level, which is important. And we're going to be, again, also kind of considering that. But also, in a bigger thing, homeostasis is also important on a tissue level. It's also important at an organ level. And, and it's just always this balance, right? So, oh, shoot, sorry, really fast. I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> Don't worry, I didn't start the timer yet, so get your clickers out. I got a pretest for you. You guys ready? Okay, so I'm not going to give the answer yet, but we're going to come back to it, okay? We're going to come back to this, because it's one of our topics for the day, right? So again, this homeostasis is this balance. And again, on the cellular level, it's important. You got Each cell's got to be in balance with its environment. But as we put these cells together and form tissues, and they form organs, we also got to maintain this, this balance, and again, especially between some of these numbers, right? So there's always, how does our liver know it's big enough, right? How, how, uh, and how do these other tissues know? How do they know it's enough cells, right? So there's always this kind of feedback option, and we'll be coming back to it later when we talk about adaptation and how cells and tissues can adapt to different types of uh, stimuli and that sort of thing. That's not today's though. Today we're just thinking, okay, two sides of this scale. Too much cell division will get cell accumulation disorders. And again, the one we're going to be highlighting today is cancer, right? Cancer is a good example and a common example. Right? if we said, um, anybody who knows somebody who has had cancer or died of cancer, raise your hand, almost everybody is going to raise their hand, right? It affects a lot of people. What is that? It's proliferation, cell division, proliferation, and abnormal, uncontrolled uh, cell division. So we're accumulating cells. 
And there are, again, other types. Again, other things can cause cells to proliferate. On the other side of it is cell loss disorders. As we learn more about the different cell types and tissue types, FYI, we'll be learning about probably over 200 different cell types in the next few months. Again, lots of different tissues, about 12 or 14 different systems. Some of these cells and tissues are not renewable, right? We have them our entire life since we're born until the day we die. We've got a certain set of neurons, a certain set of cardiac muscle cells. If we lose them, unless we find some good stem cell treatments or some new therapies, they're pretty much gone for good, right? If you have a heart attack, you lose that heart tissue, it's not coming back. If you have Alzheimer's disease or Parkinson's disease and you lose those neurons, again, without some, some new therapies, that's, they're gone. They're not coming back. So those, that's the other side of the spectrum. So we're going to be looking at cancer a little bit, and then we're going to be looking at some basic concepts of cell death, the necrosis versus apoptosis. So when you think of cancer, what comes to mind? Well, we have to kind of go one step back up because cancer is specifically referring to a type of growth. But just in general, new growth or abnormal growth is just called a tumor or a neoplasia or neoplasm. And there are two types of those growths. They can be classified as a benign neoplasm or a malignant neoplasm. Malignant ones are what we usually refer to as cancer, right? And we'll look at just, again, we're not going to turn into oncologists today or anything, but to get some kind of basic characteristics of, of these um, types of growths. So benign, we'll see. They tend to have a certain set of characteristics. They tend to grow more slowly. They tend to be contained. They don't tend to invade surrounding tissues. They don't metastasize. Malignant neoplasms, on the other hand, which makes them more dangerous, they do are capable of invading surrounding tissues. They can also spread to distant areas of the body and form secondary tumor sites or metastases. So that's a dangerous thing about the malignant neoplasia. The other thing is they are really just uncontrolled, unregulated uh, cell division. They've just really gone rogue, right? They're just not responding to normal signals in those tissues that put the brakes on, on cell growth and cell proliferation. So they're ignoring normal signals. So these things are, again, um, unregulated, uncontrolled growth, and if certain mutations are in play, they can literally be immortal, right? Certain stem, certain stem cells and certain cancer cells. Um, you may have heard of certain, if you've done any research or done any reading, certain cancer cells like HeLa cells, the Henrietta Lack cells, or cervical epithelial cells, they're still going, right? They're in labs all over the world from 1950s, they're still going strong. They, we'll talk about that a little bit. How can cancer cells acquire this kind of immortality? They'll just keep going and going and going. Right? Some other features, some other hallmarks of cancer. Again, uncontrolled, unregulated growth, possibility for tissue invasion and metastasis, 
this limitless ability to reproduce, some other things. They're, again, ignoring other signals from neighboring cells. They are often avoiding apoptosis or programmed cell death. So they're avoiding those signals that are telling them to undergo um, the cell suicide program. And they start pr producing their own growth factors. They start stimulating blood vessel development so they can keep the energy and um, supply they need. So angiogenesis is new blood vessels coming in, right? So again, they're ignoring normal cells when they have cells adjacent to them. That kind of tells them, hey, we're good. We don't need to divide and proliferate. They're ignoring that. They're bringing their own nutrient supply in. They've got mutations that have disrupted their control of their cell cycle as it relates to mitosis, and they're avoiding cell death. So all these things are some, some hallmarks of malignant cancerous growths. So just a couple of terms. As, as we go with our histo course and some other courses, again, some of these terms start to pop up, right, in different labs, and as you're reading about different tissues and organs and systems, cancer is one topic that arises quite a bit. So what is, how do we talk about these? So a couple we're going to look at, there's some basic nomenclature. It involves epithelial tissue. That's coming up in the near future. Connective tissue, and just a couple other ones. Again, these are some of the more straightforward type of nomenclature as it relates to cancers. Some other ones kind of have their own uh, way of classifying things. So when we think of carcinoma, we're thinking a malignant growth that's arising from epithelial tissue. And we're going to be learning what that is, what epithelial tissue is uh, next week. I'd have to look at the schedule. Near future, anyway. What is epithelium now? Very briefly, it's lining the outside of our body, so it's our skin, it's lining all internal body cavities from your respiratory system and digestive system out. Um, so it's exposed to a lot of different things, right? So it also forms glands. A lot of your glands in your body are epithelial in origin. Sarcomas are referring to a malignant growth of connective tissues. And there are lots of different types of connective tissues, and you'll be learning about those in the coming uh, weeks too. But they include things like um, cartilage and bone, right? Fat. They also include some other things in there. So if you see sarcoma, you're thinking malignant growth of connective tissue. Some other ones that are kind of um, tissue unique, if it's a cancer of the hematopoietic system, the blood, the blood cells, um, usually is called leukemia. Another one that's kind of unique to a certain cell type is melanoma. These are uh, cells within the skin that produce melanin, but they're not epithelial in origin. So they're not carcinomas, they're melanomas. But melanocytes, just for future reference, they, their origin is, anybody know? Neural crest cells, they originate from neural crest cells. So anyway, so let's look at those. So here's a little, little way to kind of look and practice these. So initially epithelium, if it's a benign growth, it will have OMA at the end, right? If it's malignant, 
it'll be, the suffix will be carcinoma, right? So adenoma would be a benign growth of a, of a gland. Adenocarcinoma would be a malignant growth of a gland. So again, this is just squamous, just like squamous cell carcinoma or papilloma. It's also a benign growth. If it's malignant, it would be a squamous cell carcinoma. All right, pretty straightforward. If it's a gland, we'd call it an adenoma. Or if it's a malignant growth of a gland, we'd call it adenocarcinoma is the suffix, okay? And you'll see those again, those, those terms. Carcinoma, you're thinking, hey, these have malignant growth features. Here's some examples of some types of connective tissue ones. So fibrous connective tissue, you're going to be learning about that. If it's benign, what's the suffix? Just oma, right? Again, if it's malignant, sarcoma. So fibrosarcoma, osteoma, benign, osteosarcoma, malignant growth of bone, right? bone cancer. Chondroma, these are terms, again, those of you that are new to histology and anatomy, your, especially anatomy, your vocabulary is going to blossom this year, right? Thousands and thousands of new terms and some of them Latin and Greek and, and other things. So get ready if you're not yet, all right? Okay, so what are some basic features here? Again, benign, they, again, they are an abnormal growth, but they're growing slowly. They're staying local. They'll often look like cells of that tissue are how they're supposed to look, right? If they're, in cap, if they're a gland or something, they'll, they'll still be contained within their, within their capsule, right? But again, the cells, they kind of look like typical cells. They're uniform, etc. What's going on with these malignant cells? Again, extremely rapid, uncontrolled growth. They're expanding out into the surrounding tissue. They can invade neighboring tissues. They will break through, for example, different capsules and membranes. They may not look like the tissue of origin. They will start to look a little unusual or abnormal. They'll have different sizes and different shapes. That's called pleomorphism. The nuclei might not look different. So pathologists learn to look at all these different morphological changes, but then they'll also look at biochemical, they'll do DNA tests, they'll look at karyotypes and other things to classify these different types of growths. All right, so when we think of metastasis, again, this, that, this is that idea of a primary tumor that's expanding and spreading to distant areas of the body. So malignant growths, again, in this particular cartoon, it looks like an epithelial um, growth. Again, here's the, you'll learn about this later. They have a basement membrane and a free surface. This growth has now broken through the basement membrane, and it's sending fingers of cells. They're migrating like we were talking about. So they're actually walking or crawling or uh, protruding and using their actin cytoskeleton to move through this tissue, and they're entering the connective tissue. So they're invasive at this point, right? These cells, again, typically can travel through different types of blood vessels. So their mode of transport, metastatic transport, is blood vessels or lymphatic vessels 
or sometimes just walking along the surface of a cavity or a membrane. They can just, can, they're motility, right? They're mo mobile. In this case, they're entering a blood vessel, right? And they're getting transported to, this is actually a liver. So they're getting transported to the liver. They're in the sinusoids of the liver. And they are taking up residence within the parenchyma or the functioning part of the liver. And now we're getting a secondary growth. So if you would analyze these cells, they would have markers for the primary tumor. They're epithelial in nature. And it's a malignant growth. What's the suffix going to be? Carcinoma, right? They're going to have characteristic features of epithelium. They might have certain types of cytokeratins, intermediate filaments that are being expressed, right? Because they're epithelial in nature. They've got other things you could do to analyze these cells. So some basic things. So why, why do we talk about carcinomas? Because 90% of the malignant gross worldwide are originating from epithelial tissue. And again, you'll learn more about it as you study the epithelium, but again, it's all the coverings of our body. It's lining all, again, our, our whole GI tract from mouth to the other end, right? It's lining your respiratory system. It's lining your blood vessels. It's lining your urinary system. So um, it's constantly exposed. Our skin is a good example. UV radiation, different carcinogens, anything um, that um, can get absorbed into your skin can, can affect the, the DNA. Same thing with the cells lining our, our GI tract. Some of us are not very good. We drink, we smoke, we eat weird things. We eat things we don't even know what's in our food sometimes, right? Um, so we're exposed to different mutagens and carcinogens. Again, those are going to absorb into those cells. They can impact that DNA. They can cause mutations, and when those cells divide, as we'll look at shortly, can increase genomic stability, and, and that's all it takes to get a single cell, a couple mutations going and dividing, and you can have a, a growth, all right? So 90% of the cancers are epithelial in nature, because that's, they also, the other thing to keep in mind is, um, these cells lining our, our body are also ones that are a rapidly renewing population. They undergo cell division a lot. They're replaced, depends where you are. If you're in the intestinal tract, those epithelial cells will be replaced every three, four days, right? So there's lots of cell division going on. That's another major risk factor for cancer. Even if you live in a bubble, you eat perfectly, um, just by having all this cell division occurring, you can still get cancer, right? Just by, as we'll get into it, every time a cell divides, we have to duplicate all 6 billion A's and T's and G's and C's. If we make a mistake, what happens? That's a point mutation, right? It disrupts an amino acid or a protein. It could cause a problem. So we have to re replicate all 6 billion A's and T's and G's and C's with high fidelity. If we don't, problems can just arise from that. So here are some of the, again, relatively recent, most common, I think 10 most common cancers in men and women. Again, these, most of these, 90% of these are 
epithelial in, in nature. So there's quite a, quite a few. All these hands went up for, for a reason, right? Um, again, for men, pretty similar. Um, prostate, obviously women don't have a prostate, so that's not an option on this side. But women are more susceptible to, to breast cancer. Again, lung, often likely due to, again, smoking and exposed to different, probably pollution and other things. Again, colon, rectal, GI-related cancers, uh, urinary. Those are all epithelial in nature. They're lined by epithelium. So, again, and a lot of these, again, despite we're getting better and better at treating these uh, types of growths, are still um, often resulting in, in death, right, and death of these uh, individuals. So a couple different theories about um, how these cancer cells arise. Again, the traditional one, and probably it's probably a combination of things, but the traditional view is that they're arising from a single cell, right? So a single cell, it's in your, your lungs or your, your GI tract, get exposed to uh, carcinogen or a mutagen or just by dividing, get a mutation. And as they continue to divide, they'll start to kind of outcompete neighboring cells. They'll get more mutations. They'll keep dividing and proliferating. And, and they'll eventually lose um, some of the, their control of their cell cycle. And they'll just start proliferating even more rapidly, right? So most tumors are, the origin is going to be a single cell. So if there's 50 trillion cells in your body, it only takes one in the right spot at the right time, with the right mutation to kind of get this whole process started. So this is an example from a, a breast tissue. It's really hard to detect a mutation in a single cell when there's 50 trillion of them. Often until we can actually feel it, there might be millions or even more cells, right? If you have a, a growth in your breast, even though if you're doing your, your routine uh, exams and that sort of thing, until it's big enough, you probably won't, you'll miss it for, for weeks and weeks and weeks, right? So um, that's kind of the thing. By the time you detect it, it's already got to a certain point. It's probably potentially invaded or metastasized, and now you're trying to get caught up. So the goal is to identify, hopefully, these growths early. So again, here's, here's kind of the, the first kind of original theory of how these tumors form. It's likely a combination of things, but again, here's what we were talking about. Starting with a single cell, it acquires a mutation, starts proliferating, starts outcompeting its neighboring cells, start ignoring some of those um, restraints on growth. It requires some more mutations, becomes more unstable. Again, eventually kind of gets that perfect storm of mutations and just really, again, requires some new characteristic features, becomes invasive. And again, throughout this whole process, one of the things they're described as is an increase in genomic instability. You're acquiring mutations, you're undergoing cell division, you're losing the regulation of some of your cell division, and it causes a whole host of problems we're gonna be looking at. Things like translocations, 
or aneuploidy, an abnormal number of chromosomes. You can get inversions. You can get ampl There's a whole host of things that can happen once, once this genetic instability um, gets rolling. So another, again, um, theory of how some of these tumors can form is also the stem cell theory. And that was a, kind of initially brought up when they were talking about leukemias. Again, we have certain stem cells, um, hematopoietic stem cells in your bone marrow that are responsible for generating all these different blood cell types. So it was initially kind of characterized in, in that um, tissue, but it's increasingly been, been linked to some other tissues. And part of it's been as they have tried to treat these different cancers and they, with traditional treatments, you know, different types of chemotherapy and radiation and that sort of thing, they could knock that tumor down. It looks like it's all the way gone and then it just springs right back. So part of the thinking was maybe there were some cells that were resistant to the treatment that survived and could rebound, right? So all their treatments that would target those cancer cells, again, taking a slightly different track, you could knock those things out and eventually you could make that tumor regress. So in actuality, it's probably not one or the other. Depends on the cell type or tissue type. It could be a combination of, of the clonal evolution with stem cell features. So it's, again, a lot of this is not set in stone, right? We're still, it's the whole point of going to medical school is finding the stuff we don't know about, right? And hopefully studying it. So again, the theory is some of these cells with these mutations are going to acquire, again, fortunately, it takes usually more than a single mutation to cause a malignant growth. Usually it takes a perfect storm of, of a few different three, five to ten different mutations before things get malignant. It's not always the case, as we'll see there a single mutation can really increase your susceptibility, but for the most part, you need kind of a perfect storm, right? A cell that gets a mutation, gives it some, um, again, some proliferative advantage, acquires some new mutations, and um, just continues on. Normal cells and tissues, as you look at them, you'll see, hey, they're kind of following their, their normal maturation process. Sometimes you can get mutations that are just so devastating that those cells will just die out. So that's another option, right? Those mutations and instabilities can become so severe that there's just no way that cell can be viable. So there's always, always that other option. So when, if you would look at... Hello? My mic just... There, there it's going. Um, if you would look at the, the DNA of this cell, for example, compared to this cell, you're going to notice some pretty striking differences almost always, right? This is that genomic instability they're talking about. So how, do, how would you do that, right? So one of the easy ways is to, well, not easy, but one of the easier ways is to just look at, do a chromosome spread, right? So if you're a cytologist or a lab person, they'll take that biopsy and they'll just do a spread of the chromosomes during metaphase. And they'll look at them, they'll stain them, and they'll look at them. And that's, a, that's what's called a karyotype. So here's kind of what a karyotype looks like, right? 
So they'll line them up, right? And they'll stay in different regions or different chromosomes. So how many do we have? We've got 23 with your sex chromosomes, right? 23 pairs, XY male, XX female. And that's what you'd kind of expect. But when you start seeing, again, so for normal cells, when you start looking at uh, malignant cells or cancerous cells, you'll start to see some interesting changes usually. For example, in this little box, they're showing there's been some translocation between 8 and 14. So what's translocation mean? It means a big chunk of the chromosome is breaking off of one, getting stuck on to another chromosome. So that's pretty common in some of this genetic instability that we see in malignant growth. You can also, again, see some other um, types of things. You can see inversions. You can see um, um, amplifications and a whole host of other things. So here's another look. This is from a breast cancer. Again, here's the unstained side. Here's the stained version. So if you would count all these up, you would see that this particular cancer has actually 48 chromosomes in it. So that's an unusual number, or an abnormal number of chromosomes. And what do we call that? Aneuploidy. It's an aneuploidy. So we usually have 46. These cells have 48 and a bunch of translocations and a bunch of, we would look, probably some other, other issues going on. So this is what they're starting to get, talk about with genetic instability. Really start to see some, some really big um, disruptive changes to your chromosomes. All right. So that's a kind of a quick intro into some um, benign and malignant growths. So we're going to move on and, and talk about cell death for a little bit. Again, still pretty, pretty big picture. Um, you can break both of these down into different subtypes and get into some gray areas. Um, but today we're going to be just looking kind of on either side, right? Kind of big picture, um, big differences between these two types of cell death. So what are some of these differences? We're thinking both morphologically, how these cells look as they're going through these different processes, and also biochemically. If you were going to look at the DNA, or if you're going to look at other, other things within the cell at the molecular level, there's going to be differences between these two types. All right? Very basically, apoptosis is programmed cell death. It's cell suicide. It is controlled. It's physiological. There are genes being transcribed and message being translated. We're making proteins. And it's an orderly, somewhat orderly process, right? Necrosis, on the other hand, it's the opposite. It's a pathological, acute type of, not cute as in kind of attractive, acute as in sudden, a sudden injury or um, illness or uh, damage, right, um, that is causing this, this crisis in the cell, all right? So it's, it's not a controlled process. There are different types of injuries. We'll be learning more about them, but they can be physical. You know, somebody can get punched or stabbed or run over or 
you can get bit by something, an insect, and toxins will come in and start attacking your membranes, or UV damage can come in and blast your... There's lots of different ways you can injure cells and, and cause um, either necrosis or uh, apoptosis. Um, so, so here's a little chart. You can kind of look at it as we follow these things down. Um, necrosis, again, is an acute pathological injury. Usually it's going to be impacting uh, your plasma membrane. So what usually happens? You're going to get cell swelling is a, is a classic example. And eventually, if that's not controlled, that cell's just going to burst or lice. And it's going to release all the contents of that cell, just kind of explode and into that tissue, right? So you're going to release all these uh, organelles and cytoplasm and proteins and everything else just out into the surrounding tissue. That causes a pretty strong, intense inflammatory response, right? So that's going to recruit, as you guys learn more about that, neutrophils and macrophages and creates a whole other scenario that's occurring. With apoptosis, it's a controlled cell death, as we'll look it into some of the genes and proteins in a little bit. The key feature, though, is the plasma membrane remains intact, all right? The cell doesn't swell, it actually shrinks. The plasma membrane remains intact. The DNA starts to uh, aggregate or um, kind of clump together, the chroma chromatin, and even the DNA will start, or the nucleus will start to fragment, all right? All this time, the plasma membrane is intact, though. We're not squirting and releasing things out into the surrounding tissue. Eventually, this cell is going to continue to shrink, and these little blebs or little pieces of the cell are going to pinch off and form these little structures called apoptotic bodies. These are still surrounded by plasma membrane. They're also going to have that little phospholipid on the outside that's kind of waving at macrophages and telling them that, hey, this is a dead cell. What phospholipid is our flag or warning sign? Yeah, your phosphatidylserine would most likely be on the surface of these cells and apoptotic bodies. Again, the DNA, if you would look at it biochemically, if you would do an agarose gel of these cells, you would see most of them are going to be nice controlled cuts or that DNA is going to be cut in between those nucleosomes and your chromatin. So they're going to be nice, sharp bands of DNA, most of them about 200 base pairs, which is in between your nucleosomes. If you looked at a necrotic cell, what would the DNA gel look like? Just a smear, right? It's just a uncontrolled, unregulated smear of DNA. Not a nice, controlled, organized uh, degradation or cleavage of the DNA. So a lot of distinct features. We'll add a few more as we go. Last thing, though, really important. One of the, the effector molecules in apoptosis are these caspases. We said certain genes are activated, proteins are translated. These are the proteases that are cleaving all these different substrates within the cell. 
So they are the effectors of apoptosis or programmed cell death. All right, here's an, just, just another, another look at it. Again, basically what, what we were talking about. The main thing is apoptosis controlled, the membrane is intact. We're not inducing an inflammatory response. We can just slowly remove these apoptotic bodies from the tissue and cell division will replace that cell. Not the case with necrosis. These cells are going to lice, they're going to burst, they're going to cause inflammation and an and inflammatory response. So here's another look at, here it is in an H&E stain in a tissue. So this is a type of epithelium. This is in your intestine. Here's your free surface. You're sitting on a basement membrane. These are these simple columnar cells. And these are cells lining like your small intestine. And these are cells that undergo cell death every maybe three to five days and are replaced. And on this particular slide, they caught one. So what we're seeing here are what they call these little apoptotic bodies. These are just these little fragments, membrane-bound fragments of the cell that are still within the tissue, but perhaps some a macrophage is going to come on in and clean those out, or also just be sloughed into this lumen of your GI tract. If you look at these by EM, here's more early. This is actually our nucleus starting to clump and aggregate a little bit, this darker electron-dense area. The rest of the cell is kind of shrunken in, still surrounded by its plasma membrane, but it's getting more crowded in here. You can still see a few organelles, but there's not much other cytoplasm. Again, a little bit late, you're starting to see blebs. Blebs are like these little protrusions of the membrane that are going to pinch off and eventually form these membrane-bound apoptotic bodies, which will be most likely phagocytosed by macrophages. All right, so here's another little cartoon. Here's our apoptotic cell, and this one, it's kind of highlighting, here's our membrane forming these different blebs. And again, that early, one of these early steps of apoptosis, that inner leaflet phosphatidylserine, an enzyme flips it from the inner leaflet to the outer leaflet, marking it for uh, phagocytosis by a macrophage. Our chromatin starting to aggregate, aggregate and condense. And often, as we'll get to in a minute, some other internal things are happening within the cell. Here's your mitochondria, and it's releasing cytochrome C from its uh, membranes, and that's also going to contribute to apoptosis, as we'll see shortly. So if we zoom in on that, again, there is some evidence, again, entirely clear what specific receptors are involved, but that phosphatidylserine um, could be bound to other proteins. Again, that, that tells that macrophage that, hey, this is something I want to eat, right? I want a phagocytose. So these apoptotic cells or bodies can then be engulfed by the macrophage, go to the lysosome, be digested, degraded, recycled. And in some cases, macrophage can also um, secrete some other substances just to make sure there's no inflammatory reaction. 
So apoptosis, this is a physiological process. It's a normal thing, right? Happens every day, every day. Billions of cells, believe it or not, are dying, undergoing programmed cell death, and hopefully they're being replaced most of the time. Um, so it's a normal thing. It should happen. It's a, a kind of a safety mechanism, as we'll see in cancers, right? Cancers avoid apoptosis, so um, if we didn't, if that wasn't an option, again, we might have more, more cancers among us. It's also normal, as you guys spend a little more time with your developmental anatomy, it's a normal part of development. So classic um, example is when you get limb development, they start off as these little hand and foot pads, or buds, and as they grow out, they form these discs, and eventually you'll get the formation of these digital rays. And after that, you'll start to get a separation of your digits. These, t these cells in between the rays will undergo programmed cell death, right, or apoptosis. So that's a, that's a normal, normal thing. If it doesn't occur due to some molecular reasons or other developmental issues, sometimes you can get a webbing of your fingers, right, kind of an Aquaman effect. Um, in some cases, your digits will fuse, either cutaneously, just the skin, or else even bone. So in the hand, usually it's your third and fourth digits, or again, it can be other ones, but most commonly it's your third and fourth digits. Um, or in the foot, usually it's your second and third. So in this case, you're seeing, again, a fusion, usually of the skin, but it could be bone, right? So that's what they call syndactyly. That's when these digits are fused together. All right. So that's, that's normal. Typical tissue homeostasis in our adult body during development, that's normal. Sometimes it's ap apoptosis could be abnormal. As we said, if it's happening in those neurons or other cells that we can't replace, we're going to, if enough of them go, we're going to, that tissue's going to be affected, that organ's going to be affected, that system's going to be affected, and we as an organism can be affected. So a couple different, again, big picture stuff. When we think of apopto apoptotic signaling, we've got two big pathways. We've got extrinsic, which means signaling is coming from outside. And then you've got the intrinsic pathway, which means the signal's coming within the cell. It's like, what's that one movie where um, there's a serial killer in the house, and he calls you, and he's from the house. He's inside the house. Um, <laughs> it's kind of like that. Intrinsic is um, one of those horror movies, right, from inside. Or extrinsic is outside. So there are different types of cytokines um, and other proteins that can bind to receptors and cause a signaling cascade, which will start this apoptotic pathway from outside. So again, some of the main uh, extrinsic signaling things could be like tumor necrosis factor or fast ligand or a couple of kind of the classic ones when they were first discovering this pathway. So they'll bind to a receptor called a death receptor, kind of a cool name. Why do they call it that? Because on the cytoplasmic surface, they've got a string of amino acids, which is called 
death domain. All right, it is these homologies again that kind of bind together and create with some other adapter molecules the death-inducing signaling complex. So these are death receptors. Examples are your TNFR1 receptor, tumor necrosis factor receptor, or your FAS uh, receptor. And they will come together into three, or trimerize, bring these death domains together. That will stimulate the recruitment of other adapter proteins. They usually have names like FAD or TRAD because they have death domains as well. It's the whole super family of proteins, death domains, death effector domains, caspase recruitment domains. It's a big super family of death-inducing proteins. Um, so once we get this death-inducing signaling complex, we will often bring in some of these initiator caspases, which are called procaspases, and they will be activated, usually by a self-cleaving process. Classic example for the extrinsic path is caspase 8. That's going to cause a caspase cascade, which is going to activate these effector caspases. So once these effector caspases are active in this cascade, like caspase 3, they say that cell, there's really no turning back at that point. It is on this apop apoptotic pathway. So both extrinsically and intrinsically, these caspases are these proteases that are responsible for all these morphological and biochemical effects. Right? So that's an important feature. So extrinsic, we've also got an intrinsic path. So this is from inside the cell. There are a variety of different possibilities. Classic one is DNA damage. Double-stranded double -stranded DNA breaks, for example. But there are other things. You can have ER stress. You could have, um, again, mitochondrial issues or damage. You could have a, a variety of different things. But as we'll see, DNA damage will be kind of our example. It'll come up again today. This causes some signaling, which we'll touch on and activation of certain uh, genes and proteins, which causes the activation of pro-apoptotic proteins, such as BACs. And mitochondria plays an important role in your intrinsic pathway. BACs basically creates little pores in the outer membrane of your mitochondria, and that allows cytochrome C to escape into the cytoplasm. Cytochrome C then binds with your APAF1 protein and your procaspase pro 9 to form what's called your apoptosome, another signaling complex within the cell. Now that procaspase 9 is going to be activated and our caspase cascade will rain down on the cell. So procaspases will then activate ultimately our effectors which will go around cleaving different proteins and structures and DNA within the cell. So that's your intrinsic and extrinsic pathway. There's also some overlap between the two. We're not, again, going to get into every single detail. We're still keeping this relatively big picture. All right. So that means I've got a turning point question for you. But it's always good to kind of kind of look back, especially when it relates to a topic. So these three gentlemen, 
won the Nobel Prize just, I guess, about 14, 15 years ago for their work with C. elegans, you know, those little nematode worms that are about a millimeter long. They were early um, scientists that looked at cell division, cell fate, cell death, and this little nematode worm. And they identified genes in this nematode that were homologous in the human, and then we could start studying it in other vertebrates and mammals, and et cetera, et cetera. So they received a, a medal and a million dollars, and I think they're still alive. I'm not sure, but all right, we ready? We got a clicker? Anybody change their their mind from 45 minutes ago? All right. So, cell death, apoptosis. One of those is a characteristic feature of apoptosis, and four of them are characteristic features of necrosis. All right. So, necrosis is the acute pathological um, injury. It results in cell swelling, cell lysis, releasing of contents into the surrounding tissue, and induces a really intense inflammatory response. The only feature of this, of apoptosis, is the cell shrinking. You're maintaining the cell membrane integrity, but the cell shrinks, the DNA is going to aggregate and shrink. Um, it's the only one. All right. So good, let's take a, take a break and... Come back for part two.